Welcome to this episode of the India in Focus podcast. My name is Tamra Segal and I am the Communications and Outreach Manager at Harvard's Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute. This podcast is brought to you by the Mittal Institute at Harvard University and Times of India. For this episode, we are joined by Mr. Atanu Chakrabarti, the former Economic Affairs Secretary of India. Mr. Chakrabarti served in the Indian Administrative Service for more than three decades. As the former Economic Affairs Secretary in the Ministry of Finance, he dealt with coordination of economic policy, management of project finance from multilateral institutions, budget making and formulation of policy for capital markets. In the past, Mr. Chakrabarti has served on the board of World Bank as alternate governor, as well as on the central board of directors of the Reserve Bank of India. He is currently serving as the part-time chairman of HDFC Bank and is a research affiliate at the Lakshmi Mittal and Family South Asia Institute. His research interests include the evolving viable public policy models in health, education and urban sectors. Mr. Chakrabarti, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tamara. It's a pleasure and you have been very kind in introducing me. Thank you. Mr. Chakrabarti, you've had a long and distinguished career in the Indian Administrative Services. As Secretary of the Department of Economic Affairs, you played a key role in the formulation and passage of the union budget. What are some of the most exciting and challenging aspects of that job? See, Indian budget is a very unique document. It's both an economic statement as well as uh, a set of accounts because the numbers have to be presented uh, since the money gets spent out of the Consolidated Fund of India. Uh, however, uh, it gets regularly implemented. So in a sense, something which gives a policy direction brings in number uh, and it's also a a very, very uh, forward-looking statement because uh, it gives an idea about not only the next year but for the time to come because it does contain lots of policy statement. It's also a collaborative effort. So uh, that brings out to prepare the entire budget, make it uh, because the government of the day has its uh, policy imperatives, contain putting that in place and uh, uh, makes it a very unique document and the preparation certainly involves uh, uh, you know full participation for a host of stakeholders thank you could you tell us a little more about the budget formulation process when does the process begin how are engagements with line, line ministries and various stakeholders structured uh, could you also describe some of the typical scenes inside north block on the day of the announcement well last question first on the day of announcement is relief uh, well, uh, I w should be able to share with you that part which is uh, in the public domain because uh, you'll appreciate there are certain uh, areas which are uh, a bit confidential and uh, which precludes me from sharing that. But uh, even what can be shared is interesting. Uh, it's, it's a process which is much longer than what one thinks. Uh, it starts with the Prime Minister's fifth. 15th August Independence Day speech, which is quite a bit of a uh, policy statement, which ultimately uh, does in some way or the other gets uh, has to be and gets built into the budget. Uh, thereafter, the real work starts with the revised estimate preparation uh, for the current year, 
as well as the projections for the next year. That is where uh, Secretary Expenditure and uh, Department of Economic Affairs and Revenue, they sit with uh, various ministries and departments and work out how the new fitment for the current year has to be because uh, the good idea of the full taxes and other revenues is there, good idea of expenditure is there. Uh, at the same time, uh, they are able to various ministries and departments, very rigorous interaction at their topmost administrative levels and also involvement of uh, all the ministers along with finance minister are able to bring out the revised estimate for the next year. So what is known as RE, uh, as you see in the budget document, is uh, worked out, which is a very critical element, with, which comes very close to the real spends. And you also get a hang of how the economy is doing during the year, apart from the projections that are done uh, during the start of the year. The budget making is housed in the budget division of Department of Economic Affairs. Uh, and its uh, economic component for that comes from the economic division, which is again housed in uh, Department of Economic Affairs. Uh, however, they are supported by almost every other department. Uh, very substantial participation comes from expenditure and Department of Revenue. Of course, Department of Disinvestment, Banking, etc., all of them uh, do get involved. That is within Finance Ministry. Uh, so all the secretaries work very closely with each other. Uh, and, uh, of course, under the leadership of the Finance Minister. Uh, but continuously thereafter, their interactions with the Ministry after the revised estimate exercise. They come up, they meet their own stakeholders and then send back the suggestions. Uh, many of them are accepted, they are discussed, there are discussions, there are areas around reforms which are brought in by earlier by Planning Commission, now by Niti Aayog, and uh, many ideas which keep, uh, which as mentioned are around 15th August, those ideas are in the Prime Minister's speech, or subsequent, uh, you know, the policy statements which the government on that day wants. Uh, you know, all this uh, and thereafter, finance minister starts an exercise of stakeholder meetings. And, uh, you know, from December onwards, the suggestions start pouring in. And almost every suggestion is tabulated, responded to in a fashion in, through the budget, in, in a fashion whether it's worth taking up or what are the merits or otherwise of that suggestion. And at the same time, the projections for the next year have to be done for the economy so that the nominal growth rate is worked out and on that basis the tax projections, disinvestment, other non-tax receipts are worked out uh, based upon the revised estimates and need for the next year and new schemes that have to be built in. The expenditure side gets worked in. And then they are all matched to see where the borrowing has to go within the uh, Fiscal Responsibility and Budget Management Act requirements and their boundaries. And of course the way economy or some uh, real-time situations like COVID, they need to be factored in. So all that put together leads you to uh, uh, formulation of the same uh, passage by the cabinet uh, and then presentation on February 1st, which is normally the nominated day for uh, the budget presentation. So at the end, yes, uh, relief for everybody on uh, completing it. Understand. Thank you. Um, so, what were you hoping to see in this year's budget? Um, how do you think the government performed? And are there any parts of the budget that you were perhaps disappointed with? 
Well, there are expectations from every budget. However, this year, if you ask me, uh, you know, economists very beautifully described this year as a year of uh, predictable unpredictability. Uh, so one was looking at stability, which is, I guess, most critical. Uh, the other thing is, of course, uh, one wants the jobs back, one wants incomes to go back uh, to the level. They have reached the pre-COVID level, but one wants now uh, growth to come in. Uh, India recorded very fast growth rate of uh, close to 9% in the last year, but uh, one expects it, uh, is expected to grow uh, faster as RBI put it around 7.8%. Multilateral institutions are putting somewhere between 7 to 7.5%. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, stability and growth uh, and, of course, inclusiveness uh, is the third uh, leg of this, is what uh, one is at max expecting this year, considering that, uh, you know, the fiscal in the previous years have taken hit. Uh, I see tax stability as a very, very important part. Tax has not changed. That will give a stability to the business environment and bring back private investment when the aggregate demand picks up because that's critical. Without that, the private investment is not going to come in. Uh, on the growth side, I see lots of CAPEX, PM Gati Shakti program, etc., which are, uh, and then uh, lots of money on highways, railways, etc., which on the infrastructure side should uh, provide for a sustainable growth. Uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, the revenue expenditure, which sometimes gives you a one-time, uh, one-shot kind of a growth, but doesn't sustain itself. The third uh, most important thing which uh, I saw was in that Amrit Kal statement in Para 5 or Para 6 of the budget speech, which talked about the growth focus at macro level and inclusive focus at the micro level. And then it talks about the tech, digital, climate change, climate action. Uh, so that I found is a very, very forward-looking statement that has been made. Uh, and, uh, you know, if a lot of large part of the budgets have thereafter followed this, uh, I guess if the same tune is continued all through and in the subsequent budgets also, uh, it really puts us, gives a uh, lot more stability uh, despite there would be market volatility and a lot of other uh, external factors, but it will give a lot of macroeconomic uh, stability to the economy. So this year, frankly, uh, what has come in in the budget beyond that, uh, uh, most of us who are realists and practi practitioners had little expectation in such a year. Thank you. Um, this year's budget signaled a clear commitment towards addressing climate change. There are programs aimed at reducing carbon intensity of the economy and promoting green infrastructure development. You've been chairman of the National Infrastructure Investment Fund and have been deeply involved with the Ministry of Petroleum and Natural Gas at both the centre and state level. What are your thoughts on these new initiatives and how successful do you think they will be in stimulating an energy transition in India? Well, energy transition as a measure would continue uh, for quite some time. Uh, we'll be transiting and we'll have to look at the kind of uh, energy basket that we need to have. 
I guess there's a panel also formed for that, and I guess there would be some amount of public debate. We are obviously moving towards, uh, you know, uh, renewable uh, sources of energy, but we'll also uh, got to have gas as an intermediate fuel while we move towards it, and possibly look at some other means. How quickly, how fast that can be done, possibly this panel should be able to tell us better uh, because, uh, you know, there the technology, the growth rates in the economy and uh, how fast these things can come up uh, will, uh, will have a large role to play. Uh, but uh, if we uh, sort of look at the green bonds specifically, uh, which government has uh, given an indication as to how it wishes to look at raising its own finances in future and in a sense gives that kind of a signal to the other financial institutions. I find this very interesting because uh, at the end, whatever money is raised for the government is very fungible. It goes into the uh, consolidated fund. But there are enough, uh, uh, you know, initiatives on the other hand. I can name one, for example, there's a scheme called Kusum in agriculture. Uh, it's a solar pump uh, scheme. Uh, uh, it's hugely, uh, you know, it's a, it's a green scheme in a sense that, uh, you know, it replaces diesel. Uh, it's, it's something against which this money can be set off. Uh, maybe next year onwards, uh, and that would be very desirable, that one sees a separate statement uh, on the green initiative being brought in the budget itself. There are a lot many, but if they come together, uh, that would uh, make the government's initiative more, more visible, since they are also in the Amrit Kal statement which has come. Uh, so uh, I guess then, uh, you know, whatever is being raised through green bonds would reflect there. Uh, and in any case, uh, manner in which private equity firms world over are trying to drive the ESG initiative, sooner than later, uh, the, the private financing will start having a sustainability component. But then it has to cross uh, many uh, sort of uh, bridges before uh, we have a very firm thing on that. But as is a great, it has a great signaling impact. And uh, as a, you know, if we start with it, as it develops, uh, I guess it will help us to consolidate uh, uh, the total green initiatives, which lie in the domain of various departments as of date. Thank you. This year's budget saw a welcomed increase in spending on the health sector. However, there was little effort to address rising hospitalization costs and dismal rates of insurance coverage. Additionally, government health expenditure as part of the GDP continues to be extremely low. What more do you think the government could have done on health in this year's budget? Very interesting question, but we need to see in terms of our overall federal structure. It actually goes <laughs> to the core of that. Health is a state issue. Is a state subject, and uh, and central government addresses it more as a support uh, through the directive principles because it talks about it, so the, uh, it comes in. Uh, so to that extent, uh, central government uh, does support very substantial budget. This year, I saw eighty six thousand crores up on twenty twenty one actual because that would be the real comparison twenty one twenty two. Uh, 35,000 crore was for vaccines alone, uh, so a lot of money came in. Uh, so if you see, it's about 7.5% rise, which is very substantial. Uh, but uh, 
you know, 8.6 lakh crore goes from the tax alone because 42% of the tax devolvement is to the states. So there more action uh, has to be from the states so that they can formulate their own schemes. Through Ayush, this is an insurance-based scheme available, uh, which, is, which covers the poorer strata. Uh, and then each state is working out their own insurance scheme, which covers various uh, sets of society. Uh, but uh, what the federal government has done, it has put a basic scheme, uh, which covers a very large scheme, Ayush, and it keeps funding uh, both the research setting up of medical colleges, as well as funding, uh, some amount of funding through uh, NHMS, that's a national health scheme, uh, national health mission. Uh, beyond that, I guess it is the realm of uh, uh, the state governments to handle the public health part uh, and also delivery of health systems on the ground. So those areas are best addressed by each and every state and their policy making and through their budgets. They do it. It's not that they do not do it. Uh, the effort varies from state to state. We have been seeing an increase in prices of essential goods and food due to the increasing taxes levied on fuels and fertilizers and reduced subsidies. Do you see this continuing in the coming year or has the latest budget given us hope of positive change in the near future? Well, I guess uh, I'll, uh, your question, I'll put it to your concern on the inflation, I understand. Uh, let's try to understand the factors which have gone into the, this phenomena, which is very global. Uh, you know, it has come on account of very loose monetary policy, which the advanced economies followed from 2008 onwards. Uh, that brought in a lot of liquidity. Then, of course, uh, the crude prices, whose volatility now has further added on to it, then there is, and further the U Ukraine issue, which has increased the gas prices very substantially, and the global supply chain disruption. I, I feel globally these are the major, major factors which are driving, and uh, in largest economy, U.S., we are seeing about 7.4% inflation. Uh, every Emerging economies dollarized to some extent or the other. To that extent, that inflation automatically gets imported into each and every emerging economy. We are doing well. I was seeing yesterday's Governor Reserve Bank statement, and uh, he is quite hopeful of containing it uh, within a reasonable band of 4 to 6% during the year. So that's where the role of monetary policy would come in. Uh, regarding... Uh, Taxation, uh, to some extent, uh, it comes in on uh, uh, part of it, which is on fuel, uh, largely goes for infrastructure. So there's a virtuous cycle for that because there is a cess which uh, has been levied. And rest state governments tend to adjust. They lower their excise duty. A lot of governments did it. Central government also did it. Uh, so that is goes more with the price of the fuel itself. Uh, subsidies are uh, fairly structured, so uh, they are paid as per the requirements. Uh, so uh, whichever, whether it's a fertilizer subsidy or food subsidy, uh, you know, that really uh, has little connection with, uh, you know, the inflation per se. Uh, it would more largely uh, lie in the realm of the monetary policy thereafter because 
uh, you know, both federal and state government would continue to focus on growth. Uh, of course, in tandem, the monetary policy will play its own part. Uh, but we must not forget the connectivity, international connectivity uh, so, uh, of uh, inflation. To that extent, uh, more exports would help us. That would balance the, uh, continue to balance the currency and not uh, allow that uh, sort of leakage of inflation in the country. But as of now, I see in India, uh, it's, it's, uh, uh, it is, I will not say benign, but it is uh, certainly not touching the boundaries of uh, tolerance which have been uh, worked out. What do you foresee are some of the challenges that the government should try to address as it sets out to implement these latest budgetary proposals? Well, the biggest challenge is unpredictability on account of COVID. And uh, frankly, it doesn't allow uh, anybody uh, uh, much of a choice uh, to really understand. So there the predictability is little. And once you are looking, and second is uh, crude oil, uh, where again, uh, talking about the prices is pure crystal ball gazing. So these are the two factors which uh, at a very macro level are challenges which uh, any government would find very difficult to deal with. Uh, so same would remain at a broader level, the challenges. Uh, on the on the level of implementation, it would it has to be uh, the capex having been last year India exceeded the union budget exceeded its capex target. Uh, this year, uh, I am sure they have through national infrastructure plan and PM Gati Shakti, which have been the budget mentions, putting them together, and investment in mobility, warehouses, logistics, roads, railways. Uh, where shovel-ready projects are there, uh, I guess uh, requirement would be to keep a very, very close monitoring to see that uh, those things happen. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm sure seeing the last year's record, uh, you know, that capex should go in. And uh, that, should, uh, that would remain a major area for monitoring uh, to ensure that the objectives set out in the budget are met at the end of the day. And, and the rest is on the revenue side, of course, tax collection, disinvestment receipts, uh, and asset monetization program would remain uh, sort of uh, very, very uh, important uh, to see that the, the balance towards reduction of the overall debt in the country, uh, that, uh, that thing starts happening with COVID hopefully behind us. So we have one last question. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused widespread economic devastation across the world. At this juncture of the pandemic, what kinds of policy interventions do you think India needs to put us on a track of economic recovery? Well, more or less that part has been addressed in the budget. I must say that uh, because through a large push on CAPEX, uh, and also uh, making, uh, putting the forward-looking statements which are there. Uh, I guess, uh, and on the direct benefit transfers, uh, where the money reaches without much of a leakage to that part of the society which suffered maximum, their income really lost, and that's where we lost the aggregate demand. Uh, that comes up. Uh, 
so uh, I guess this direct benefit transfer uh, is now happening across most of the schemes, but it keeps happening more because that's where the digital, the fintechs of the world, they are the ones who are making lots of difference. They are, that's already happened and perhaps more would happen. Uh, the UPI is a classic example, which perhaps is uh, one of the best payment systems in the world right now. Uh, having said that, uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, these things, uh, you know, the CAPEX has some lag in bringing growth. However, wherever those projects are getting ready, they will bring in, uh, you know, the growth in the service sector. Because while they are being implemented, there would be uh, cement, steel being bought, construction sector coming up, which is one of the largest employers of people. And that's where people get employed and they would uh, push the service sector growth. That should bring up consumption also. Uh, so I guess that is the mix if, uh, uh, which is envisaged in the budget. And if that mix is, uh, the continues and we do not uh, hopefully see any more uh, surprises by the RNA known as <laughs> uh, COVID SARS-19. <laughs> I guess we should be on, uh, the globe would be on, the planet would be on path to recovery. I guess it, it's, it's been a scourge which has uh, sort of uh, hurt the humanity tremendously. It's, it's, well, thank you, Mr. Chakrabarti, for taking the time to speak with us and for sharing your views. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you.